What's going on, guys? My name is David Gibbs. I am the host and founder of this podcast, SIDcast, a podcast a resource dedicated to telling stories and sharing the experiences of the sports information and athletic communications profession. Before we get any further into today's episode, I would like you to go over to iTunes or wherever you get this podcast and leave us a rating and review. It helps the show to grow up on the charts as well as continue to tell the SID story. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Infocast and sign up for our newsletter at SIDcast.fireside.com. .fm slash newsletter. Now, let's get into today's conversation. What's going on, guys? And we are welcoming ourselves back to the 131st episode of SID cast uh, did something a little bit different today that I wanted to do for a while now um, seemed like the perfect time to do it considering football season is just what two three weeks away um, our first game is going to be a Lucas Oil Stadium August the 31st uh, against Ball State it's a neutral site um, so we've only got what a 40 minute drive to get there so it's not going to be that bad. Uh, before I get any further today, if I sound different, sound weird, or you hear a fan in the background, it is because, A, uh, my throat hurts. Um, I'm not sure if allergies or if I contracted a disease. So we will find out uh, probably tomorrow. I'll go to a little minute clinic thing. but um, Or tomorrow being today. So, uh, And B... Being that it is damn hot in my apartment for the millionth day in a row. So uh, I have a fan. Yes. And I'm going to keep it running. So if you can't stand it for the next, what, three, four minutes, then I don't know what to tell you. Because it's staying on, whether you like it or not. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, one thing I did want to touch on that I did touch on last week as well. If you haven't yet, and I can't stress the importance and the fun that people had with this and the kind of response that we got um last year and i only expect bigger things this year our show awards are coming up in august for or on uh, october sorry for our three-year anniversary episode um that episode will include the award winners uh the descriptions the maybe even uh some snippets of audio from the past year um all from episodes that took place between like mid-August of last year all the way up until that specific date. I'm kind of toying with the idea of uh, throwing in some of these late September, maybe even early October episodes so that they have a fair shot because not everybody will be able to listen to them. They haven't got through their maturation process yet. That's something that I'm kind of sitting on right now. Um, It'll be different things like uh, most entertaining it was a good one from last year. Um, let's see what else. Uh, episode of the year encapsulated in two divisions, large and small. Uh, we honor, uh, what was it, like four people, four episodes. Uh, each episode will get a specific um, a specific like cover art so that people that go back and listen to the episodes, if they see this kind of metallic uh bronze and it's not blo- it's not bronze it's silver but like that kind of feel to it uh where our logo goes from navy and uh neon green it'll go to silver and gold um that way people understand that hey this was a special one voted on uh by the listeners themselves and the only way that you will be able to do that and be able to get involved in anything like that um is being our newsletter subscriber and you can go that to sidcast.fireside.fm slash newsletter. Fill out the form. I will add you on Substack, and you will get these directly to your inbox. If you're not getting them, check your spam. But I think Substack kind of solved our um, spam issue that we were having with Gmail because Substack is actually a legit newsletter site that it's free and it's amazing and I really like it. Other than you can't align text, uh, you're kind of stuck with the left alignment, but um, I digress, as one of our interns says. A couple of new things this year for the show awards will be, the it's something you guys can't vote on. It'll probably be something like most listened to or some 
months, I don't know, biggest month or something like that, where we credit the four episodes that were in the month for leading the uh, last year. Another thing I'm thinking about doing, uh, I wanted to do something about uniforms, or excuse me, unithorns. Haven't gotten the right to use that yet, so Ira, I'll be messaging you soon. Um, it'll be like a unithorn of the year. I know it's not episode related, but come on, it's fun. And, you, and you'll be able to uh, submit your own unithorns that you distinctly remember, and I know that you do from uh, the past year. Uh, submit those and then people will be able to vote on them and we'll be getting some sort of uh, system going with that. But it's still very, very early on. I still want you guys to be involved as soon as possible. A lot of people jumped on board last year, um, kind of toward the tail end. I I closed the voting process uh, like on a Sunday or I closed the newsletter signups on like a Sunday and I started voting on a Monday and people that signed up through the week, they didn't get a say to be honest with you um and that's what happens you follow directions that that's how it works but uh go ahead and sign up for that um we will get that rolling so katie grew up in a place in nevada i believe i know she went to university of nevada she's been in mountain west country basically all her life um grew up in a place where gold mining is a is a hobby is a thing, and we have some fun with that. I uh, also talk about being able to expand upon your toolkit quite a bit, how you can get involved in working some bowl games because she worked with the uh, then some. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna kill myself for not remembering this, but some like computers bowl. I forget what it was called, but it is now the famous Idaho Potato Bowl, um, as it should be for the rest of time in Boise. Uh, before getting to the CFP, and we will give you guys a sort of an inside look of what happens. Uh, during those Tuesdays about midway through the season where you're watching ESPN, you're probably thinking like to yourself, like, I wonder what this communications office is doing. What is this night like for them? Maybe even what is it like for Katie um, to kind of go through? She basically sequesters herself and uh, makes sure that everything runs smoothly. Um, also, breaking news, <laughs> and I think this is – I'm going to kind of lead with this uh, in some sort of post probably on my personal but. um the social people don't get to pick the uh, rankings. Shocking, I know. So we have some fun with that. Uh, I'm really excited for this one. I'm really excited for you guys to hear it. So I will stop talking, stop rambling, sign up for our newsletter. Let's get it rolling with episode number 131 of SID Cast with Katie Cavender of the College Football Playoff and her very first takes of sports information right here on SID Cast. was born and raised in a small town um, on Interstate 80 called Elko, Nevada, about halfway between Reno and Salt Lake City. And um, the activities that that you did there in my hometown and still do there um, were athletics. We were definitely an athletic family. My mom was actually the first female inducted into our high school athletic hall of fame, which is pretty cool. And uh, my younger brothers played football, basketball, and track, and I and I did volleyball and, and basketball in high school as well, and so we were always doing sports stuff, and so I knew when I went to college um, at the University of Nevada that that's, I would want a career somehow that, that was involved in sports, and I thought at the time that um, that would be uh, in sports journalism and becoming a sports writer um, and a member of the media, so I, uh, I studied at the Reynolds School of Journalism at the University of Nevada. It's a pretty prestigious school for it and was really excited about what I was doing and needed to get some internship credit as part of my um, graduation requirement. And so I was really fortunate um, thanks to uh, a mutual friend that I had with um, the then athletic director at the time and he had to coach football there um, on and off. Uh, Chris Hall, there's a friend of mine who I had worked for in the past, Vivi Adams, um, it was with Barrick Gold Strike, one of the gold mines in my hometown. Because um, that's what you do in a small town is you gold mine, uh, which or you mine gold, which is pretty cool. Um, she she had put a connection together between the athletic director and with myself, and um, there was an opening to become a sports information intern. Um, so I spent a semester doing that. 
gotten to see what um, life was like on the administrative side of college sports, and um, that that semester was was really incredible to to just meet the coaches and the student athletes and learn how to you know lay out releases and media guides and all of those um, communications one on one items so to speak. Um, that it really kind of gave me the bug and helping with you know press conferences and um, sending up interview requests, all of those fun things that that we do on a day to day basis. Um, I thought it was really cool and. Um, when my semester was over with that internship, um, you know, I didn't really want to leave the athletic department that badly, and I thought maybe that um, a career behind the scenes would be more suited for me than than something doing, uh, you know, covering events on a day-to-day basis as a member of the media. So um, I was lucky enough and was hired on as a student assistant in the athletic department, and that grew from uh, from media relations into some marketing stuff and. You know, I had responsibilities in the equipment room and tickets and the foundation and all of those various items that um, that made me really, really enjoy um, the industry that we work with. And uh, it gave me the bug and have been doing stuff in college athletics ever since I graduated in 2005. Awesome. Um, first of all, before we get anything, you ever get any gold on the gold mining? You know, I, uh, I personally don't have any. One... I, one fun thing that um, I was fortunate to do, though, was when I was in college, um, I was able to work at a gold mine throughout the summers. And so um, that was a tremendous opportunity. I got to go underground, so I kind of felt like a doozer on gravel rock, you know, going underground and helping paint offices and, uh-huh. and seeing how all the equipment worked. I, I helped in the uh, maintenance department, and I even got um, certified to drive a forklift in, in the warehouse at one one summer, which... Um, it's kind of one of those two truths and a lie um, things yeah. that I include on my list. That, that people don't believe that I am certified, certified, but um, just a tremendous opportunity. We're, you know, we're hardworking people from from where I'm from, and so that's I think something that I've been able to carry with me into into the college athletic space as well. So it sounds like you kind of pick up on different things from different jobs that you have had. So let's. What about when you worked with some ticket office, equipment room, marketing? You were just working with everything. I mean, how did that kind of build you up to be uh, a better SID in your mind? You know, I think it's really important, um, really in any industry, to if, if you want to be a leader and, uh, you know, really be uh, a master at your craft, is to kind of understand the various um, arms of the industry that you're working in. Um, I think it makes you a better teammate. Um, to understand the various perspectives and the responsibilities and maybe the, some of the pressures that other departments are feeling. And so that that just builds more camaraderie within um, your organization and then also gives you a better perspective on, on maybe some opportunities that are there, some different stories that you could potentially tell, things of that nature. Um, and so I've always been um, the type that has uh, wanted to, to get my hands around as many as many areas as possible, and I've been really fortunate in in my career to work on staffs that um, have been have been slim enough that I could I could get involved in a lot of various different areas. I think that that's really important. Again, not only to to be a good teammate, but also to to help to tell the stories of what your organizational goals are, what the mission is, um, and then what what your various teammates are doing. I think that that, that only helps make a better product organizationally if, if you've got a perspective of what your coworkers are doing. How do you think an SID now currently, or maybe even a young professional can uh, kind of get that experience? And cause I I'm full, I'm full on with you, do as many things as possible, but do not stretch yourself too thin, you know? So um, how do you think that they can get involved? I mean, what are some ways do you think that they can expand their toolkit like that? Yeah, you know, I think, I think there's a myriad of ways. I think that there's more opportunity now than ever, um, particularly for folks who are who are in school, who are just coming out of school and who want to get themselves involved in this space. Um, I would say um, letting your network of folks know that you're available and you're willing and you want to learn. And I, I think that there's um, this stigma that, that if you're going to spend your time doing something, it needs to be in an area that you're super interested in. But I think it's really also important to stretch yourself beyond um, your comfort zone and, and to be comfortable with the uncomfortable, to get into areas that maybe you're less acquainted with or maybe you're not as interested with um, and just volunteering, making yourself um, available to those experiences because that will 
that will stretch you, that will make you um, learn more about yourself, and then that way you can discover, you know, maybe there are new avenues that, that you're more interested in that you didn't realize you were. Like, for instance, my, you know, this, as I mentioned before, that sports information internship that I took as a student, I originally thought I'd be a media member um, and kind of went in a different route and took that internship within the athletic department, and it's become a career for me. So um, I think that's super important is, is letting your network know um, that you're open and willing and able, and that's, you know, your supervisors and, and people around you. But then even as far as social media, I think that there's a tremendous um, network, particularly on social channels, whether it be, you know, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, on down the list, whether it's the sports biz hashtag, the SM sports hashtag, things of that nature. I've really found even where I'm at in my career that, the, the industry at large is will, really willing to um, lift as a climb, and so providing opportunity for folks um, who are interested in, in informational interviews or shadowing experiences or having conversations or interning or whatever that is, um, really to help each other out, out that way. It's just a matter of just first taking that step and, and making yourself comfortable with the uncomfortable, like I said, and making sure that you're stretching yourself beyond what, what you may originally think that you're capable of. I like how you say uh, stretch yourself kind of beyond being uncomfortable with the uncomfortable. I think that that's a good thing. Um, the other thing I, I think uh, popped into my head while you were speaking there is um, doing things that you don't want to do when you don't want to do it the most. Um, so that way, I mean, just imagine when you do want to do something, how productive and how, I mean, Putting yourself in those situations is the only way that you'll grow. If you're the only, if you're the type of person that's just going to, like, if you're going to work out, you're only going to do one weight for years and not go up any other weight or do any other sort of exercise and you're never going to get stronger or faster or whatever. So, um, yeah, like all good things that you said there. So I want to kind of jump back on track with the, uh, the path that you took. So it was time to leave Nevada. Um, you took a spot with the Pac-10. I mean, was your aim to be in the conference office? Is what, or, I mean, what was kind of your goals like and life like at that time for you? Sure. I um, I applied and actually applied not not really thinking that I would I would get hired for that opportunity, if I'm honest with you. I, I really wanted to um, continue my work in athletic administration and – um, again, trying to put myself out there in, in places I was unfamiliar with, you know, being from a small town and staying in state for school um, was, that grew me a little bit out of my comfort zone, but but the thought of going from an institution to a conference would, would provide another opportunity for learning that I wasn't accustomed to and then doing so, you know, in the Bay Area, which was a much bigger market than what I had grown up um, living in and, and working in at the time and studying in and then also with institutions that um, are top tier in terms of all their academic standards and their their storied history of, of athletic excellence. So um, I was really fortunate that, that they took um, a risk on me as, as a student from a school that wasn't a Pac-10 member at the time. It's, it's still funny that um, you know, I tell people that I was a Pac-10 intern, and sometimes I get looks like, wait, what is the Pac-10? I don't understand, because it feels like now so long ago that there were, yes, only 10 teams in the Pac-10, and before my time as an intern. Um, but but really just just took the risk and, and went through the application process and was really fortunate to have that experience there, and uh, it was part of the, the PR staff there and, and was given some sport responsibilities, which was really cool. I had assisted... Um, with a lot of the sports when I was at Nevada, but to be a primary contact for some there at the Pac-10 was really um, a valuable experience for me to kind of see what what another arm of the college athletics administration landscape looked like. Um, and then, so, so that, of course, became something that, that I really enjoyed doing. And then the other part of it is uh, the at that time, the, the Road Bowl game did not have um, the media relations staff and the Pac-10 staff at the time actually handled all of those responsibilities. Um, so I was fortunate as an intern that the, the year of the Rose Bowl game um, that we we handled media relations for um, was the Texas-USC National Championship game with Vince Young and, and the crazy ending there. So it was really a tremendous opportun 
opportunity for me also to to work in a bowl type setting, um, which which sparked my interest and it was really interesting. I, I found myself, you know, it was it was over a decade later um, in my work here at the college football playoff, and it was game day for the national championship. Like just kind of looking back and reflecting on you know that year that I had as an intern, and that being my first national championship game, I had worked to. To my second being over a decade later was was pretty cool and it felt like a full circle moment. It was always after that internship experience, doing that with the Rose Bowl was always something that I had my eye on, on potentially adding to to the toolkit that I've got. And really fortunate now that that I've got that um, experience on a day to day basis here at the CFP moving forward. Uh, you mentioned that you when you started with the Paxton internship, you had never had those sorts of uh, responsibilities, the primary contact stuff before. Um, so what were some other things that you might've found challenging? How did you overcome them? I mean, were there, was there anything you weren't expecting during that year? You know, the, I think the biggest part, and it's something that I've become more and more comfortable with, even though it's still, still a bit of a challenge now, just with the way that the industry works is, is moving to um, a market and not having um, the comfort and the huge network of friends and family in my back pocket all the time and being being comfortable with, you know, going on my own and, and exploring new cities on my own and, and making new friends and building relationships with coworkers and all of those things. Um, I found that to be pretty interesting in California and, and as, as my career has progressed, it's become easier and easier, of course, especially if you I, I, I tend to identify myself as an extroverted introvert. Um, so, uh, so being able to, you know, to, to meet people and, and to, to get to know them and to share my experiences um, in order to build relationships with folks, that's, that's something that was a little bit of a challenge thing, just coming from a small town and then going to college in a place where there were lots of folks that I went to high school with or, um, competed in sports against and in high school were there. Um, I, I noticed that in California was a bit, and then and then just just how the industry continues to change and evolve. It, I mean, that when I was an intern, that was pre social media in our industry. Um, it was pre digital, most of anything. Like we had we had a website at the time, but it was pretty rudimentary. Um, and just to see how things continue to grow and to evolve. Um, that provides challenges, I feel like, but also just tremendous opportunities, not only for the organizations to grow, but also for the staffs to grow as well, to, to evolve and change and um, make themselves, again, more comfortable with the uncomfortable. It seems to be a common thing in our conversation today. <laughs> and sometimes uh, those little underlying things pop out, and I'm totally okay with them. So um, how about some things that maybe people don't really understand or maybe people should know about uh, working a bowl game as a media relations staff because you worked at the Rose Bowl and the Pac-10 at the same time, but you also worked at was it the NPC Computers Bowl? Yeah, it was. When I um, after my internship at the Pac-10 was over, um, I spent um, about nine months or so working um, at Boise State in the game operations area, and then also helped with media relations for the then NPC Computers Bowl, now the famous Idaho Potato Bowl. Um, you know, it's. It's interesting because there are there are some big similarities as it relates to credentialing and um, and to your game or your media operation on game day. So um, you know, setting up press boxes and making sure news conferences are ready to go and all of those things. Um, I think there's some big similarities there as, as if you compare that to work in a conference office or or even at an institution. But I think the biggest um, maybe misconception is just the quick turnaround, particularly given like when the announcements are made of who's participating in the bowl and then making sure that all the communication is happening um, in a way to make sure that the participating schools and their conferences and, and the media that cover them all get, get what they need in order to cover that game. So I would say tight turnarounds um, is, is something that make, make a difference, but different, but I also... Um, really have leaned on my experience um, as an institution as well as a conference office to help me in my life working um, in a bowl setting. So several conferences definitely uh, host these bowls or maybe serve as the host site or the host 
school or whatever. So um, a question we never really asked and a question that often comes up during, during a lot of the undergrad stuff that I was in uh, shortly ago, um, how do you get involved with these bowl games or how do you get involved with these NCAA championship sites? I mean, what would be the best way for people to go about getting that experience? You know, I would say there uh, are always opportunities to be a part of the host media operations volunteer staff. Um, there are there are numerous opportunities, and I would say every experience that I have had where I have worked on either in a full-time capacity or as a volunteer, um, there have been opportunities to get involved with, with whoever's hosting the events, whether it's the local organizing committee or the hosting school or conferences in, in an NCAA tournament situation. Um, is, is to reach out to that institution and, and make yourself available um, and then just be open to, to what assignments they give you and you never you never know what, what opportunities they, they may lead to. Um, I know uh, my experience working for the Mountain West and then also here now at the CFP, we've been really fortunate that both the folks who have done that and have become um, a volunteer staff for us really are also an extension of us as full-time and, and have gotten themselves so familiar with the way that um, the organization operates that, that that you can trust their they can be trusted and, and really serve them as an extension to us so uh, I would definitely say reach out to to if there's an opportunity for an event either locally in your local market or even if there's something that, that you're willing to travel to I know lots of folks are willing to you know, by flights and all of that thing. If, if you reach out and you make the connection and you show your interest and that you're you're willing to learn and to work, um, more often than not, you'll be taken up on your offer and you'll be provided with a really cool opportunity that can bolster your resume. Awesome. Your um, so that was up. You, you did some bull stuff. You worked mm-hmm. at Boise State a little bit. Um, so now you moved on to uh, the conference yeah. office. You've technically returned home a little bit with the Mountain West. So um, how did you come about that yeah. position? Let's sure. start there. Uh, and then uh, what was life like at that time? Just kind of same phrasing a question earlier. Yeah. Okay, that sounds great. So I um, my path to the Mountain West actually is a little bit of a, a unique one. Um, I uh, actually, there was actually a position open with them uh, in a webmaster type role that came up about at the end of my Pac-10 internship. And I had applied um, and I was a finalist and I interviewed um, and, and was feeling really good about things and unfortunately was not hired. Um, I, it came down to, to final, another finalist and myself and um, I was not selected for the position. And so that, that opened up a door for me to get that experience at Boise State. Um, and then in being there and, and just exploring um, what where my path was headed, I was applying for full-time positions and wasn't getting offers, and, and my confidence was kind of low, if I'm, if I'm honest with you. It was really um, difficult as I would continue to interview and, and apply and interview and apply and get decline, decline, decline to figure out, like, what was wrong with me or, or my skill set, what, what was missing that wasn't really um, converting into, into a job offer. And so I um, thought after... Um, spending that time at Boise State that, that maybe grad school was the what route for me, that, that I was missing having a master's degree and maybe that would help get me hired. And so I uh, I took my GRE and I applied and I got into um, a master's program at the University of Washington. Um, it's their master's of um, education in intercollegiate athletic leadership. And uh, it was a really tremendous program. It's a year long. Um, half of the coursework is over the summer. It's eight to five, Monday through Friday for eight weeks. And that's half of your course credit. And the other um, half of the course credit is either internship credit or um, there are a couple of online classes that you take each quarter and then you travel back to campus for extended weekends throughout the academic year. Um, so I went to grad school that summer thinking like, okay, I'm going to go. And either I'll go back to Boise and become a GA or an intern again, or I'll stay in Seattle and do that or I'll find some other opportunity to get that internship experience and just really immerse myself in, in getting my master's degree. And excuse me, as I, uh, as my summer in Seattle was winding down, I, I saw online a posting for the same position at the Mountain West. It hadn't worked out with the person that was hired. And so I, um, I knew I was really excited about that opportunity the year prior and I knew that it would be a good fit for me. And so I um, put myself out there and I reached out to, 
um, the head of the hiring committee and, and wanted to put my cat back into the ring. Um, and so I went through the process all over again and was super fortunate that I got that I got an offer that I had accepted. So um, at the end of that summer session in grad school, I finished my classes on a Friday in Seattle. I drove from uh, Seattle to my hometown of Elko um, Saturday and Sunday. And then Monday drove from my hometown out to Colorado Springs and started work um, either that Monday or Tuesday afterward and was there for, for over 11 years. Um, and and it, I think it, like all, all paths are different uh, for folks in college athletics, but I will say that um, all things happen for a reason as well. Like I'm really fortunate that, that things worked out the way that they did um, and that I was able to go to graduate school and have that time of Boise State. Like I think that that was all part of my journey that, that I was supposed to have. And when I, when I got hired there, like I mentioned before, it was a webmaster role primarily focused. And so I spent a lot of time teaching myself code and, and working with our communication staff there on, on how to get the information they needed to get up on the Mount West website um, available for folks. And then that grew into, uh, into some media relations responsibilities. Um, so I handled a couple sports and was secondary contact on a couple of others like Mount West football. Um, and then because of my primary role as the webmaster, um, in about 2008, 2009, when the social media boom started to hit brands, um, we had some conversations within the walls of the conference office and it made the most sense for, for those responsibilities to fall on my plate at the Mountain West. So um, it started first with um, the Mountain West's Facebook page, uh, which is so funny that it's just like one page that we, that we had and then um, it grew into a Twitter account, and then multiple Twitter accounts, and then of course an Instagram page and um, a Snapchat channel as well. And so I was really, really fortunate to help kind of build that from the ground up for for the conference, and then assist all the all the institutions with with their social and digital endeavors as well. And then toward the, I would say the second half of my time there at the Mountain West, um, had some opportunity to assist with our um, video production unit as well, the Mountain West Network, and in live streaming of games. Um, we were the first to have actually a game streamed live on Twitter. It was the, our, our first football game was even before the NFL's first Twitter streamed football games. We were, we were really proud of that and had some really great uh, streams and things on Facebook as well. And then it assisted with our, um, with our studio programming as well. So uh, it turned into some, an opportunity, like I mentioned before, as I was a student, I wanted to have my hands in, in as many pots as I possibly could, um, and was really, really fortunate to, to have that experience and, and really build um, not only some, some lifelong connections and relationships with the Mountain West, but really a family there as well within the conference office and within all of the Mountain West institutions. Uh, I'm really glad that you touched on a few things there. First, I want to talk about the social media stuff. And that was a question I had for you. So you mentioned earlier that you had started uh, before this whole social media boom. And then all of a sudden you were um, kind of everybody was really just kind of thrusted into this thing. And now it's, it's sort of everybody's job now. Um, so but what happened in 2015, you received an award for the best social media campaign or, or something related to that. So. Um, how did you kind of go from not knowing what this was and, and everybody else not knowing what this was to winning an award for being the best at it? Sure. You know, it, we were really fortunate at the Mountain West. Um, we had some great leadership there um, from Commissioner Thompson and Deputy Commissioner Gilliland that, that really gave us um, the ability to use social and digital media as, as a great equalizer for us, um, particularly given where the Mountain West stands in a group of five conferences um, compared to those autonomous five conferences. Um, you know, they gave us some flexibility to try new things, to, to see if the spaghetti would stick on the wall when you threw it. Um, and so that, that was really, really something that I was fortunate to, to work with and, and be a part of. And it gave us the opportunity to be creative because we could. Um, and kind of because we had to, it was born out of necessity and something that, that we needed to do to compete and to keep to keep the conference relevant within within the dialogue. Um, so that that was something that that really helped. And then, um, you know, I'm I'm kind of a geek and I kind of you know love love social and digital media and particularly how it relates to sports. I think it's the perfect marriage and 
Um, TJ Avisola, the head of sports for Twitter, likes to call it, you know, the virtual sports bar. It's the greatest sports bar there is. And, and I, I think the, it, nothing truer could be said. I think that sports and, and social media um, are, are meant for each other. People love to have camaraderie and rivalry and conversation and sometimes banter as it relates to sports. And so to be able to use that tool to tell the stories of the conference um, was really something valuable to me. And, and you mentioned that that award, the Synopsis Sports Leaderboard Award, we were really fortunate. And it was something that, that was not even among the realm of what you would consider um, a traditional award category that, that we went for. We actually um, had, there was a rain delay that happened um, at the Mountain West Baseball Championship in 2015. Um, and if anybody knows anything about college baseball, um, things can get pretty silly between teams and student athletes um, during rain delays. And so we had Fresno State New Mexico playing, and they went for hours going back and forth doing all these skits. They were, you know, reenacting the Pacquiao Mayweather fight and running of the Bulls and, and all sorts of really funny stuff. And so our um, our video producer, uh, one of my best friends, Jesse Kirk, went out into the rain, and he produced a really incredible video um, for us that, that showed the antics and it was way before long form video on Facebook was was encouraged or a thing um, but but we took a stab at it and we again threw the spaghetti on the wall and it stuck and it got um, over a million and a half views overnight for us on Facebook we did it exclusively there first and that's over a six and a half minute video you guys will have to check it out um, rain delay shenanigans but in not West baseball um, if you guys are Googling at home. Um, so we were really, really fortunate to have that experience and to, to kind of tell that story beyond, you know, just a highlight reel or, a, or an interview with somebody. It was it was being prepared to, to react to the moment and, and capture something that, that we hadn't planned on. And, um, you know, we're really fortunate that we were recognized for that, but it was equally as fun even if we hadn't, hadn't earned the award for it. Awesome. Um, I do want to kind of touch back on this subject here in a little bit as it regards to the CFP. But first, we need to get you in our in our overarching story and our uh, how we're going, um, how you got to the CFP. So you spent 11 years at the Mountain West. Um, and then all of a sudden, uh, we all have this college football thing happening. So how did you get about? <laughs> yeah, I know it came from. I mean, everybody saw it coming, but we didn't have it for a hundred and 45 years? Yeah, 45 yeah. Years. yeah. That's true. That's really true. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm really fortunate um, and, and have, have built some great relationships with folks here at the CFP and, and the work that we have done with them um, at the Mountain West with various teams that we had um, there participate in, in either BCS Bowls or in New Year's Six Bowls. Um, and, and just given the relationships that I have with staff here and that my bosses at the Mountain West had with the CFP leadership here. So they reached out to me when this opportunity presented itself um, to join their team uh, last summer. It was not something I was prepared to hear about. It, it kind of came out of left field, but, but entertained the conversations. And, um, of course, after, after deliberating on it really hard, just given, again, the the great family that I had built at the Mountain West and the tremendous experience I had. Um, it came down again to, to, to going out of, out of the comfort zone and just stretching myself um, further um, beyond where I, where I thought I would go. You know, tech, I'm, I live in Dallas, Texas now. It's the furthest south and the furthest east I've ever lived, and there's no mountains outside my window for the first time in, in 35 years, so that's been kind of interesting to navigate. Um, but but to really focus on on the college football product and what the CFP selection committee does and and the playoff semifinals and the national championship game, all of those types of things, um, has been a really cool thing for me to focus on. And and, and my Mountain West family, 100% supported supported me in making that transition, and I'm really grateful for them. That made it a lot easier. Uh, so your role now, I mean, what's your day to day like? We're kind of we talked a little bit off air about the ever. Uh, coming train that is the fall sports season. So um, I know that the, it, not every day is different, but what would you kind of boil it down to a little bit? What do you kind of do uh, in this role? Is How does it differ from a, a large conference or maybe even a university office? Yeah, I would say um, the cool part is that 
Um, it's always football season here, um, which which is awesome. College football is, is totally tremendous, and so it's fun to always be working on it. And we're always working ahead of it, too. So, um, of course, there's day-to-day stuff that we're working on throughout the college football season in preparation for, for kickoff to start in now less than a month, which is crazy. Um, and then with, with extra year for teachers week um, in mid-September, which is part of our CFP Foundation initiative to raise awareness for um, the great educators um, that teach um, our youth, that, that's something that we're always building up toward. And then um, we're always, as I mentioned, looking ahead. So there's, there's site visits on a monthly basis that happen in, in the current host city. Um, and then site visits for two years out and three years out. So we've got, um, you know, this, this year's national championship game is in New Orleans next year in Miami and the following in Indianapolis. Um, so, so we're preparing for all of those things. And, and uh, it's been a little bit in the, it'll be a whole year that I've been on staff on August 6th. So once that happens, it'll be nice for me to, to have a little bit of better of an understanding and the wheel will not have to be reinvented in my mind. I'll have a good idea of what the baseline is um, for what my responsibilities are. But it goes anywhere from, um, you know, working through our credentialing system again to all of the logistics and technicalities for our um, media hotel and our media day event um, and, and game day itself, of course, but then also working um, really hand in hand with our staff here in terms of messaging points for tickets for our premium packages for um, fan hotel situations um, with the participating teams and with the selection committee, um, just making sure that our, that our message points are all consistent and that we're finding the correct voice in the way that um, is on brand for us, um, but also resonates and is engaging on our social channels. We spend a lot of time doing that. And then we're really fortunate um, that I spend a lot of my time uh, kind of overseeing our um, digital and social. So with our partners at Sidearm, with the CFP website, collegefootballplayoff.com, um, as well as the great people at Twitter and at Facebook and Instagram, um, that helps support our content, but then also help guide us as well. Uh, we have conversations all the time and, and are really fortunate that the college football playoff and our national championship game are 10 full events for them. Um, so we're working with them and of course our television partner at ESPN on really making sure that we're maximizing um, our digital and social reach there. So um, we're a pretty small staff. It's our, um, our external relations and branding staff in our department um, there's two full-time folks. There's myself and, and Gina Leahy, my boss, and then we've got a full-time intern that's here from August to April. Um, so it's pretty lean and mean, but but again, like I said before, have, being the type of person that wants to have your hands in as many pots as possible is the perfect scenario for me for, to be able to do that, which, which I really appreciate. Yeah, you just kept listing stuff, and I was like, oh, my gosh. I mean, it <laughs> quite encapsulates a lot. So, yeah, um, it's a lot, but we're also we're really, really fortunate, David, that we've got tremendous um, planning partners and vendors that help us execute as well, That and, and a group of volunteers that, that help us get that done as well. But uh, let's say we're, we're lean and mean, and, and we, we do what we can, that's for sure. So how about this messaging stuff? And this was the thing I wanted to kind of circle back to here. Um, social and everything, the communication. First, I want to kind of ask you uh, – how did you kind of craft that and, and how have you kind of kept it on standard? Because it's nothing like, I would say, I mean, you're the only one that, and a handful of people would know what it's like to, to work with some that pro, high profile of a thing. So, I mean, what was the kind of the uh, standard that you, that you kind of set for yourselves? Yeah, you know, I um, coming from uh, the Mountain West where we had a lot more um, we had a lot more strides to put forth in order to, to get engagement numbers and to be creative and to make sure that our messaging really resonated with folks. Um, people love college football so much, and there's so much um, either love or sometimes um, banter, depending on, on what happens and what fan base you're from, that it's a little bit different for the CFP. And um, there, there may not necessarily be actual fans of the college football playoff, unless you really like the, the model that we've got. And there, don't get me wrong, there are plenty of 
plenty of folks out there who are like that, but but you're more than likely um, a fan and a, and a tenant flyer, so to speak, of, of a particular institution um, that gets to participate in the college football playoff. And so finding ways that we can um, identify and, and, and hone messaging um, to those various audiences is, is important to us, but, but there's so much dialogue around um, particularly the selection committee rankings that come out each Tuesday, uh, starting at about midway through the season. Um, and then when, when the top 25, the final week of the season during selection day comes out, um, those are really tremendous opportunity for us to, um, where we, we tend to be mostly editorial when it comes to that, but then also uh, find ways, A, to engage, but then B, also educate at those same times since we've got that engaged audience for that content, what are other message points that we need to get out to them? So since we've got, since we're only focused on football all year, we, we do have the flexibility compared to a conference office or an institution that, that we can focus really on that a lot more than maybe you would if, you know, my life at the Mountain West, we had 13 institutions and 18 sports that we were sponsoring. So it was always on to the next, on to the next, where as at the college football playoff, it, it seems like the weekend really focus and be more strategic in that manner. So what is, um, I know you kind of touched on it here a little bit with the messaging and being engaging and everything, but what does this engagement and what does this planning and communication look like uh, Tuesday about midway through the season? Yeah, so we um, we are really fortunate in our department that, that there are not very many people that um, that are involved in the process before the rankings come out on, on Tuesday evenings on ESPN. Um, the selection committee meets um, on Mondays and Tuesdays each week, and they have a really in-depth dialogue and then examine all sorts of data and um, get reports from each of the conferences, and they do a tremendous deep dive into, into how the top 25 shakes out on a weekly basis. Um, when that happens and when it gets finalized, um, my boss goes through and she proofs it um, over and over again uh, just to make sure that things are really copacetic. And, and once she feels comfortable, she shares that information with me and she and I work together on, on putting together the, um, the press release that'll go out once those rankings are released on, on Tuesday evening. And then from there, um, we also make sure that all of our social components are, are all put into place. So that's um, all of our graphics and making sure handles are correct and hashtags are correct and all of those things. Um, and it's a lot of really making sure that everything is super, super, super accurate. Um, I am always, I've always, since I was, gosh, in elementary school, been, been a real grammar stickler and making sure that things are like accuracy is key in my book. And, so we really pride ourselves in making sure that the information we're putting out there is as, as accurate as absolutely possible because we don't want to have any sort of gap that would um, embarrass us, embarrass participating teams, embarrass ESPN, anything of that nature. And that we make sure um, the way it usually gets timed out is by the time that we have all of those things ironed out and proofed and we feel confident, it's time for the ESPN show to air. Um, so we, um, my intern and myself, will... Uh, sequester ourselves in front of a television and as soon as uh, ESPN makes an announcement for um, their rankings we're prepared to to hit send on the tweet hit send on the constant contact with their press release um, to make sure that we're um, in, in as lockstep as we possibly can be so that we're not missing any time and we're still controlling the news cycle uh, ESPN has the first right to, to make those announcements just given the the television rights agreement that they have with the college football playoff, but we want to make sure again that we're we're owning owning the narrative as much as possible, and so we do everything like we can to to as soon as those are announced on television that that we're right there with them and making sure that they get out of our channels as well. So you guys heard it there. If this is your first time ever listening to SID Cast and you are not an SID or working college athletics, you just heard it. The social media people do not vote on where these teams are so yeah don't at me i think is the right quote don't at me you can at me but there's not much i can do when team x is not included in the top 25 or top four there's not a whole lot lot, whole lot i can do to, to help you there but i'm happy to listen yeah you can <laughs> complain as much as you want but it's not going to do much so um 
Well, that's a lot of great information. Uh, we really do appreciate that. Kind of gives you guys a, a deep inside look at what exactly happens with the CFP, what happens on every Tuesday when they do come out with the rankings. Um, I want to move to this part of the interview where I like to ask some fun questions. Uh, first question I have for you is uh, your favorite memory in your professional tenure. Oh, my goodness. So I've got several. Um, I would say the um, sports the Synopsis Sports Leadership, or Sports Leaderboard, excuse me, um, award that we received for that rain delay is definitely high up there. Another one that I, I mean, I've been really fortunate that I've worked in my time at the Mountain West um, when Utah beat Alabama in the Sugar Bowl, when TCU beat Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl, um, and of course the three Fiesta Bowls that Boise State um, has won and, and having personal ties there. My brothers were both offensive linemen for Boise State and played in the first um, Fiesta Bowl that they won against Oklahoma with the Statue of Liberty play at the end of it. Um, so that's, of course, a huge highlight for me. But then um, on a more granular level, I would say um, a couple of things. Given the, the video production we had at the Mountain West, I'm really, really fortunate that um, we won three um, Heartland Emmy Awards um, that I never in my wildest dreams would have ever thought that I would have one Emmy Award, nonetheless three of them. So I'm really, really proud of those. And then um, at the total opposite end of that. So when I was working at the Mountain West, there was a um, there was an opportunity. We went to the Las Vegas Bowl. We had a team participating, and we were able to follow them to um, to a community service project at an organization in Las Vegas called Opportunity Village that provides um, work skills and life skills to um, developmentally challenged people in the Las Vegas area. And so we were able to shadow um, some student athletes and their experience there at Opportunity Village. And it was just really tremendous um, to see the connections that the student athletes built with the folks there at Opportunity Village and just to see the great experience that they had, and we had an equally as fulfilling experience as a Mount West staff on site with them. And so that was something that, that I'll cherish for a really long time. Good. Well, what about on the uh, other side? What's your biggest horror story? Oh, gosh. If you have one at all. Story. Some people do, some people don't. I do. I do, and not many people know this, so I apologize to my bosses at the then Pac-10 conference, now Pac-12 conference, who, who may not know that know the story and are listening now. Um, so as a college graduate at the University of Nevada, so San Francisco is about three hours from Reno, my, my college town. And I had an interview the Tuesday after Memorial Day um, with the Pac-10 in Walnut Creek. And they were going to fly me down and back on the same day in and out of Oakland, um, which is very close to San Francisco. And people know their West Coast geography mm -hmm. very well. And so... As, as part of Memorial Day and being a new college graduate, I had some friends and I who wanted to spend Memorial Day weekend in San Francisco, and I had not pieced it together because I was not as familiar with Bay Area um, geography that, that San Francisco was very close to Walnut Creek and to Oakland. And so um, we decided to go down. We were going to go to a Giants baseball game. We were going to go shopping and to a concert and all sorts of silly things. And so, um, of course, none of my friends had – vehicles that they could take or were operational or whatever. And so at the time I drove a Volkswagen Beetle, um, a newer, newer bodied one, but still a Volkswagen Beetle. And so we all loaded into my car and we drove over Donner Pass and we get um, on the east side of the Bay Bridge and my check-in light comes on. And I, uh, I try to figure out what's going on. We figure, well, maybe, you know, maybe it'll cool off. We'll get the car parked. We'll go hang out and I'll go check on it when we get the car. Um, so we do so. Uh, we hang out in San Francisco. We're there for the weekend. We let the car chill, whatever. So it's time to come back. We're going to leave the Sunday of Memorial Day weekend. Um, and my check engine light is still on. So we don't really know what's happening. And so um, I call AAA and... I get some advice that the guy says to drive back and to risk it. And he said it was low on coolant. So um, my manual of my Volkswagen said don't add water and don't add the coolant that you can buy at a, at a traditional auto parts store. You had to buy the specific Volkswagen coolant. And so I tried to find a Volkswagen place that was open on Sunday. And, of course, there was one particularly over Memorial Day weekend 
So we tried to find a mechanic and we went on and on and on. Well, there's, they were closed on Sunday, but on Monday there were mechanics open. So we stayed the night, I found a mechanic, I dropped the car off and the diagnostic was that I was indeed out of coolant and my water pump was made out of plastic and the overheating caused the water pump to melt. Oh, that was really not great. So I had my friends who I was with um, had to get back to Reno for work and all of these various things. And I had my interview in from my Pac-10 internship the following day. So we, uh, this is this is a terrible first story. We uh, all loaded up. We got on the bus. We went out to the San Francisco airport. We rented a car. We drove all the way back to Reno that night. I got my friends up where they needed to be. I got a ride to the airport the next morning for my interview. I had left my car at the mechanic so that they could take care of the vehicle. Um, so I went to, I flew into Oakland. Uh, I got picked up. They took me to Walnut Creek. I had my interview. They dropped me back off at the Oakland airport at the end of the interview. And rather than get on the plane, I got on the BART, which is their subway system in the Bay Area. And I took it into San Francisco. And I went and I picked up my car and it was all fixed and I drove it back to Reno that night. So uh, definitely not something that I'm proud of by any stretch of the imagination and was super embarrassed to tell anybody and was much so much so that I think this is the first time publicly that I've told it. So Awesome. I feel special. Well, um, it does sound like quite the turmoil. (laughs) Would not be a a fan of that. Um, What's one thing you're interested in to learn more about in this profession? Oh gosh, I am such a geek. I wish I, uh, I am so impressed by the content that creatives are putting out in the athletic space as a whole. Um, I am so jealous of the graphic design skills and video production skills and animation skills that, that folks across athletics, whether it be in college or in pros or even freelancers, um, are putting out to make um, our industry that much better. So I'm always trying to soak, soak up as much as I can um, from from reading, from, from Twitter, um, from YouTube, trying to find ways that I can get better in that area. I definitely admire all the great stuff that creatives are putting out there to tell the stories of, of the sport. Uh, in your mind, what traits or characteristics make a good SID? Oh, goodness. Um, I would say communication is vital. Um, it's kind of funny. I think it gets lost on folks sometimes that, that we work in a communications role, but sometimes um, folks in our roles aren't the best communicators. So I think that, that goes twofold in terms of uh, being able to have conversation, but then also to be a really good listener, I think is important. And then also, um, I think in any industry, I think writing is absolutely fundamental to be able to compose an email, to be able to write a document, um, to write features, I mean, on down the list to be able to write um, is something that is absolutely critical and a skill that I think will, um, it's, it's somewhat getting a little bit lost, um, but it's something that's extremely vital to be successful in any business, really. Uh, work-life balance, what do you do to have fun? Uh, you know, I, um, since I live far away from, from my family, I like to travel home as much as possible and spend time with them. We like to spend time on the boat and, and go water skiing and wakeboarding, things of that nature. And when I'm, when I'm here and, and hanging out, I, I sports is something that I'm always doing, whether it's watching them on TV or attending them in person. And then I really enjoy um, music and pop culture as well. So that's, that's movies, that's going to concerts, that's, uh, you know, watching, watching reality TV, things like that. I, I'm, I'm trying to stay as plugged into that stuff as much as possible because I also think it's important professionally as well to, to be dialed in. Uh, I will let you have a pick since you did spend 11 years in the Mountain West and Colorado Springs. Um, you're now living in the Dallas area. Next time someone is in one of those two places, what's your restaurant or bar recommendation? Oh, gosh, 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 gosh. Um, I will say – um, my favorite place here in Dallas, Fort Worth, um, is a place called Whiskey Cake. It's in Las Colinas. I believe there are a couple others in um, Texas, but uh, it's outstanding. It's got a great selection of um, of food and beverage that I really recommend. And then, oh gosh, there's so many places in Colorado Springs. I would say my, one of my favorites there is 
Um, McKenzie's downtown is a really great place that um, holds a special place in my heart. We have my going away um, party from the Mountain West there. So I definitely would, would recommend that for, for a great happy hour or a great dinner spot. Awesome. Um, if anybody want to have any questions for you or maybe want to get in touch with you, yeah. or if any fan had any reasons why you voted for Team X over Team Y, what would be the best way to do it? Uh, my DMs are actually open, uh, believe it or not. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Katie Cavender. Um, that's probably the best way to find me. And I'm, I'm also Katie Cavender on, on all the other social platforms as well, whether they be Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, or LinkedIn. Definitely feel free to hit me up. I'm happy to to help pay it forward as much as I can. Awesome. Well, Katie, thank you very much for coming on. We all really do appreciate it. Thanks, David. Like I told you, long-time listener, first-time caller. I appreciate the, the <laughs> opportunity to chat with you. No problem. Thank you. Thank you.